Hey Fly Guys, last week we released part one of our episode about HBO's The Righteous Gemstones. That episode covered the career of Danny McBride and his collaborators Jody Hill, David Gordon Green, and Ben Best. If you haven't heard that one, we do recommend going back and listening since it gives context to everything we're talking about today in part two. Thanks everybody for listening, thanks to Gabby and producer Dan Black, and especially to our guest Marie Bertineau. If you like what you hear, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. On with the show. But Edie Patterson becomes, I think, the latest and most interesting and exciting addition to this creative team because she is um, credited as a writer on The Righteous Gemstones, and she's one of yes. the lead cast members there. So we can finally now uh, get into this series, Incredible. which is this stars McBride and Patterson and Adam Devine as these children of a sort of megachurch dynasty right the gemstones uh their patriarch is um uh is john goodman eli gemstone eli gemstone i keep i get all the names mixed up you know i keep wanting to say jesse but this is obviously where we have like the superficial comparisons to succession right, right? and the family tree the family tree yeah did you want to go into a little bit more detail about that marie because oh, sure. you, yeah, yeah, I mean, you've obviously now, just been watching I've succession now seen for the both, first time so i can actually say i think <laughs> first you're an expert witness yeah first i think it's uh interesting and maybe somewhat heartening although things like this always end up getting short-circuited and and diluted but a lot of shows about the nature of power in america lately i think that succession and gemstones are both contending with the nature of power in a country that technically has no caste system but in practice really does uh and you know on the one hand like succession you've kind of seen it a million one reason i didn't watch it a lot of people don't it's like all right seen it a million times this super rich elite family that's in control of a media empire like how good could it possibly be it is good um but you know they're, you. they're very much like the, the <laughs> oh i didn't you're you're a consulting we're, we're producer on the yeah. show i i don't usually watch to the end uh, of the credits so i think that's fair <laughs> associate producer yeah i uh but it's, you know, it's very much like the traditional conception from both the right and the left of what constitutes an elite. They are billionaires. They live in New York. They live right. in this fairyland of like penthouses that are connected by sort of moving bubbles that never really deposit them on the ground. Um, they just go from from room to room and uh, pull these levers and control the destiny of millions of people. Uh, and then the gemstones are very much like I think increasingly there's been a lot of media discussion about uh, the American petty bourgeois, someone who is a capitalist and that they own um, the capital that earns them money and has a lot of influence, but it's more local influence. And this person might make the same salary as a dentist or lawyer, but they are not educated. They're not coastal. They're regional. Uh, and they're obviously like 
the bedrock of support for Donald Trump and the January 6th uprising. All of those people came on planes because of the um, money they had from owning something, something that seems small, but is actually right. big, like this millionaire next door thing. There's been this just like ongoing sort of leftist Twitter joke about, you know, this uh, like fabled like boat dealership owner or the, the, the car dealership owner who um, is mystifying to like New York liberals uh, or California liberals wh- who who think that every single uh, Republican is voting against their economic no, interests. No, not necessarily. And, and this, this kind of character, right? This Will Ferrell character in in Eastbound. Um, you know, these guys who are making six, maybe seven figures because they can invest because they own their capital, but they didn't go to college. Um, they're not in any way ostensibly socially liberal, um, and they you know, are an increasing political force. Clearly, well, they, they got always Trump been over a the political line. force. I think people are just talking. Well, mm-hmm. you know, we're so... It just seems that now, yeah, now uh, coming from a, a place where, where this kind of person and, and, and community is sort of invisible and there's, you know, very, very crude and, and elementary understanding of what rural areas are like and what the South is like, um, you know, just being typical coastal elite this this is the kind of community that is now um getting a little bit more of a spotlight people are seeing oh these people have existed among us but you know it's um, not just in and southern <laughs> areas like in la and new york they exist too. No, like, no, of course i mean yeah in the midwest all yeah. over. one of the most famous yeah. or one one of the highest achievers from this um bracket is hr halderman who was the son of like what a car dealer or something uh he became the white house mm. chief of staff to nixon and nixon's right support was i mean he was very early he was not early but he was very uh canny at recognizing and uh catering to this demographic um strategically yeah it it also feels like it's sort of a a dovetail with the tea party a little bit like i remember when the when the tea party was cropping up and even people now talking about january 6th where they're like how are these people taking off from work and how are they affording the plane tickets like you don't know who these people are you really don't get it do you the interesting thing to me is like the efforts from the kind of centrist lib and centrist republican um columnist class uh, at kind of squaring that circle by redefining what makes you elite or working class instead of like owning capital mm. and the means of production. It's like, well, but these people who are millionaires, they are not elite exactly. because they feel uneducated compared to, you know, Harvard Lampoon writers who mock them through SNL, a show with a 0.01 rating share at this point. So therefore, their resentment right. is justified. It's like just just trying to kind of tease it out where it's like, no, you know, the simple answer is the best one. If you own capital, you are a capitalist. You are a, a, a petty exactly. bourgeois. That is person. that is that is your class comrade. But I more think so than yeah. the gemstones no. to get yeah. back, you know, to the topic. They're not they are not this petty bourgeois. I guess they're bourgeois bourgeois. Uh, they definitely they're multi multi millionaires yeah. with a lot of power and influence. They're but very they're very much, very wealthy. Yeah. They still kind of typify this regional power uh, in that you know the Roy's from Succession wouldn't let them into the same room as them, and they wouldn't try to uh, be in that room. And their power is their power is almost invisible to 
again, to coastal elites slash the average American who does, in fact, live in a dense urban area. <laughs> because they, they, like, operate through this, like, media network that is just totally... Uh, invisible to somebody like you or me most of the time they like i was actually just looking mm -hmm. at um christian uh christian affiliate networks yeah christian tv networks that operate mostly through like low power um affiliate stations throughout the south and regionally versus you know the big the big four or five networks that operate through high power stations that you know broadcast to much larger areas you have like a a network with many more nodes in it uh, if you're something like, uh, I don't know, Three Angels Broadcasting Network or, um, ooh, what was the other one? It's sim it's really similar to Waystar, but it's not. Uh, I can't, I'm getting it confused with the okay, show, but yeah. like the Christian television network ecosystem is, it is smaller, it is way more diffuse, and it kind of flies under the radar of all of the big, the big boys that are basically yes. running their influence out of LA and New York. Well, there's crossover too. Right. Something we didn't talk about, but the one that was always on in my home growing up was EWTN, which is like the Catholic TV network. Um, and uh, one of, and the sort of like flagship star of that network, as long as I was watching it, was their like news anchor, Raymond Arroyo, who is now um, making regular appearances on Fox with Laura Ingraham. Um, so there is like a lot of crossover that happens between those two. Yeah. I think, uh, no, there is, and but I think people just are slow to recognize like the tremendous influence that that, and they still operate radio stations that are very, um, very successful and have a big listenership. Like increasingly, there's so many parallel media worlds, and <laughs> if you, well, you get in the uh, in the premiere of season two of Gemstones that like the other smaller syndicate guys like begging Eli do they, they need to stay on streaming and like this modern world like it's this whole infrastructure I mean I, I'm ignorant of these things but I'm interested in them so you know it's, it's fascinating well, to hear you talk about we can, it but, yeah I mean yeah. we can get into it the show's like <laughs> religious sensibilities uh, I yeah, because it doesn't always feel like a no. religious. In fact, show. I wish like <laughs> there is definitely some of it. Uh, I wish there was more of it. Um, I think that in Me too. <laughs> they're a little bit, they they've got a tiger by the tail. You know, they're a little bit afraid to fully commit to uh, the the theological yeah. and doctrinal um, implications. It seems like they don't want to based they on don't interviews want to. that they really want to. They, yeah. they they want to keep it focused on on sort of family and power and they don't want to offend true no, they believers. Don't. Well, like and, the, and, the, the, and what we've talked about is that these guys never really set out to like say like we're going to do a political critique or whatever. Yeah. We're, we're really going to stick it to, they, they don't, in Eastbound they were not saying we're really going to stick it to, you know, sports. <laughs> uh, they're, they're, yeah. they're pulling that stuff for comedy and they're making something compelling along the way but they're not they're not saying we're gonna stick it to these guys and vice principals they were you know they, they did not set out i think with a really clear like political program so in a way gemstones is not that different but i do think it's very true and i think it'll it's clear as we analyze it and talk about it the subversive satirical confrontational edge that was there in those earlier projects and something I think is interesting and perhaps significant in gemstones is that Hill does not write on the series as opposed to these previous mm -hmm. projects, that satirical subversive edge, I feel is a bit blunted. I, and a bit no, I, I agree. Gemstones. I mean, they've said, and again, they are not, 
too keen on or adept at talking or defending themselves artistically and why should they be like that's for that's for us critics to do they've mm-hmm. said many times uh almost to the point of you know too too much we're not making fun of christians okay we're making fun of christian hypocrisy right. uh and people who right, right. preach the word but don't do it and mcbride has a story from his childhood when he got divorced. His mom would still take them to church, but she was the um, the subject of a lot of nasty gossip and exclusion from all the church ladies. So they eventually stopped going, and that experience really stuck with them as an example of you know church hypocrisy. Um, but he's like super super careful to say this is about hypocrites and not true believers. And yet, I and wonder yet, how much of that has to do with. Back relationships oh yeah his, his aunt is a pastor yeah. he said oh absolutely but also yeah. like you know yeah. this is not a group that you want to anger uh it can cause big problems for you uh especially because especially if you're yeah. trying to actually shoot in the south and like have a film production there yeah. and the people right. the extras on their show like are churchgoers most of the time like just being a churchgoer and a believer is so much more normal uh where i grew up than it is now you know los angeles uh city of angels more like a city of demons and sinners um Heathens. no but it's just it's just more normal like i grew up religious i'll talk about that in a minute but everyone i knew mo- many different denominations not even always christian um often regular churchgoers most of my parents friends from many different faiths like they went to all different churches and a lot of people at my school, they kept different religious strictures from, from various religions in terms of not being allowed to do this or that or having following dietary provisions and things. It's just so much more normal and society overall is less um, less secular there, I guess. So you really, it, it's yeah. realistic to show that level of Christianity to a point. Well, we should at least, yeah, we should at least briefly acknowledge what our various religious backgrounds are, which I think for Gabby and I are both have like a Catholic background where I think Gabby, for you, maybe it was a little bit looser. I don't know. I grew up in, I grew up in an extremely yeah. Catholic household. I was homeschooled um, for most of my uh, education, you know, went to church every week. That was, and that was my experience growing up. Whereas Gabby, for you, it was more like you, you were you know, nominally Catholic. But. I would say... Yeah, more of the the um, kind of classic Northeast Irish or Italian or German Catholic immigrant experience uh, come from an Italian and um, Latin American background. So I was raised Roman Catholic and a very you know liberal New York City metro area. I don't ever feel like we were true believers or there was a high level of religiosity. But I mean, we I went to CCD every week. I went to mass every week and did all my sacraments. I lapsed at 14 um, after my last sacrament, which was pretty much just done for the sake of my one devout grandparent. Um, The bulk of my milieu growing up was Catholic and Jewish with kind of the occasional one-off like Episcopal or Greek Orthodox family. So my conception of born-agains and evangelicals is obviously limited. I can first recall watching Jesus Camp after a college professor who happened to be a Jesuit priest. Uh, I I did go to a Jesuit Catholic university, even though I had lapsed from the religion, because I really liked Jesuits. I had a great uncle who was a Jesuit in the Dominican Republic and um, thought he was a great guy. So 
Um, anyway, yeah, so this, this priest told me to watch Jesus Camp, and I pretty much lost my mind, and since then, I've been <laughs> really interested. Was, that like, a, albeit... was that like a positive recommendation? He was like, you'll think this movie is no. cool? Or... <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it was, I mean, the Jesuits are cool. They're legit. So it was yeah. like, a, this. you should know what's going on <laughs> with it. It was actually, a, it was a biblical heritage class. So we had like two semesters of religious requirement didn't have to be about christianity but i just happened to have it be in a king james bible class anyway so um i've been you know very interested in the breadth of people's experiences coming from these churches people who have left um people who are still there too for that matter um lds is a particular obsession of mine not just because it's been like ama hot hot in tv lately but yeah (laughs) i I saw your notes and i was like oh my god yeah and sometimes i wish uh gemstones give us like a little bit more because i am so more morbidly curious as this like kind of you know northeastern liberal background type girl but um, perhaps, you know, that's just my greed and that's simply not the, the show's well, project. Well, honestly, I, I wish it was the show's project, too. Like, they, from what I can tell, the, uh, the gemstones are a evangelical slash Pentecostal charismatic Christianity. Um, like, they might be part of the Assembly of God, which is kind of the main Pentecostal conference, mostly Southern. Um, but very, mm-hmm. very difficult to glean their actual doctrine and one thing that i think the show could do and i wish they would do is just give us 10 minutes of one of eli's sermons honestly like because they they give you just a taste but it's like they're really afraid to commit to even just depicting the world uh not even criticizing it sure or criticizing it directly in a way that would scan as offensive i understand not doing but I think they're also on uh, selling themselves short by not going deep into um, the the theology and beliefs that are being professed here. I mean, Eli is literally a preacher uh, full time. And in addition to all the administrative duties that he has as the head of this church, uh, he would be spending a good deal of his time writing sermons, like engaging yep. with other biblical scholarship, kind of coming up with how he's going to translate um you know, this biblical passage into an accessible and uh, audience-friendly speech, more or less. And we get we get so little of that in the show. It would be nice to see an episode that is mostly a real-time um, church or sermon. I don't know what they even call their services because sermoning, the sermon is only part of it, but... Yeah, we get mostly the the entertainment aspect, which is a huge oh, aspect sure. of the whole mega church world, of course. And I mean, that's but like there's you know, where a lot of the jokes you are, have the main but, yeah. sermon, and then it, sometimes it, you have some other speakers, and sometimes you break out and do like a little Sunday school thing. And this there's there's like a lot uh, of the church experience that we don't get in the show that I think it would be richer if we did. I think they're like almost afraid of testing the audience yeah. patience in that way. But with an hour long instead yeah. of a half hour, I say, you know, test my patience because you you do all this other stuff. Why yeah. don't you engage more with the central conceit of the show? Absolutely. A hundred percent agree. Yeah. Well, I think you teased that out really nicely, Gabby, about the way that it's they, they come at it from the angle of like the gemstones are essentially celebrities and entertainers. And most of the services and stuff that we do see is based around like musical performance a lot. I mean, like there is obviously like this whole song and dance history built in with like Amy Lee and Baby Billy. But that's also a way in which it's like a much safer ground to kind of critique these people from. Right. Because. Mm-hmm. 
I mean, that's where you're on really safe territory, where it's the thing that, honestly, these guys have intentionally avoided doing the whole their whole project, which is doing L.A. stuff and talking about, like, L.A. culture and L.A. celebrity. You kind of get... You, they kind of come at that sideways through the gemstone stuff by showing how these guys kind of want to be California celebrities. Well, that's what you at. know... That, that's their, like, they're, aspirational they're, lifestyle, Another right? recursive thing here, though, with um, different types of media is, like, they're... Their format was more or less invented by Amy Semple McPherson. Y'all familiar? Right, um, right. She was the first megachurch pastor and the first woman megachurch pastor. She was... Why don't they do a biopic of her with Jessica She, she was a character oh, on uh, the Perry Mason show, wasn't she? Right? <laughs> Wasn't she? She was. Oh, wasn't there have the, been uh, like so, yeah, 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 yeah. There, there's yeah. so many like depictions. Like she okay. is the the blueprint for so many different things, and she had a a big. Me- I mean, it's still here. The Church of the Four Square Gospel. Um, their central building was Angelus Temple in Echo Park, and she had a light show. She had pyro. She had tigers. She did motorcycle stuff like. It was crazy. It was the, it sometimes they had lines around the block to get in, um, and it was very like it was Pentecostal. Uh, it was charismatic, and I think I don't know if y'all are familiar with the kind of doctrine of those movements. Um, I think the gemstones very much fit into it. Uh, charismatic, not when people say charismatic Christianity, oftentimes I think the thought is that they're talking about the sort of um, personality-driven televangelist movement, but it's not. Yeah. That's no, it actually think, yeah. refers to like a Greek word charisma, like referring to gifts and spiritual gifts. Like charism, so like yeah. it's about um, yeah. this whole it's about the personal relationship with Jesus Christ, uh, the moments where you are saved and filled with the Holy Spirit. And some sometimes this manifests as like speaking in tongues or faith healing. Right. Speaking in tongues and faith healing are like the biggest hallmarks of the, the Pentecostals uh, and the charismatics and. Charismatic right. Christianity, more than being a sect, is more of a um, kind of a style that ended up affecting almost every Protestant uh, sect in America and, and crept over into the, the televangelist movement, obviously. But it's very much like a personal relationship, being saved and recognizing that as a moment when you're you know baptized by the Holy Spirit. And sometimes you get so overcome that you speak in tongues, roll on the floor, or have a faith healing event happen. And that's what those meetings, like the revival meeting, where everybody is like dancing in the aisles and getting up from their wheelchair. Okay, so can I yeah, can yeah. I interrupt you for a second? So this is not, this would not happen not at the Gemstones really, megachurch. Like that's serious Pentecostalism, the, the tent revival thing. But I think right. that the, doctrinally their movement is kind of, charismatic inflected evangelical christianity with maybe some pentecostalism but a lot of these big mega churches that mm-hmm. succeed are uh, at least ostensibly non-denominational like amy semple mcpherson she came up with her own thing that she called the church of the four square gospel which is just kind of like a pretty inarguable very defensible and easy to understand protestant christianity and that's probably what the gemstones have like they right. talk about Focus on Christ. Don't get into a lot of esoteric uh, questions about that that come up in Catholicism or Calvinism or Mormonism, uh, and you know, keep it very much on your personal experience. So, and I think you know they they obviously don't have that rolling in the aisles faith healing thing going on, but they're very mm-hmm. much I think focused on the uh, 
like the the experience like having that experience usually expressing it through music and expressing music, yeah. your there's personal even, testimony thing well there's perhaps even a bit right. of tension with that in the show because that's that kind of seems more like baby billy's thing oh yeah baby billy's like he, a holy roller he, like he's a serious he's like a tent absolutely. a tent revivalist for sure and he's like old school so the whole like yeah, so the whole, like, distrust that's there between Eli and Billy is mm. obviously based so much on the family history that gets teased out in the show, but you can also it's read doctrinal. into that, these, like, different There's flavors. a schism yeah, within yeah, yeah. the gemstones, I think. You're right. Like, ah. they definitely have a different style. It never even occurred to Beyond me. Beyond being yeah. a different style, they, I think it does hint at having a slightly different doctrinal interpretation of whatever their Protestantism is. Well, because the the history that gets teased out in these flashback episodes or interludes that they're called, which are directed by David Gordon Green in both seasons, they flash back to like I think it's like the eighties um, when the excellent child actors, ex- amazing <laughs> child actors who like totally get like the cadence of uh, like Patterson and McBride's performances, which is like pretty pretty hard to pull off. But you see this relationship between. Billy, the Walton Goggins character, and his sister, Amy Lee, who's the, um, in the present day, she's the deceased matriarch of the family. Um, but what's implied is that they had this whole history as where they were like, as children, they were like Christian, like song and dance entertainers, right? And that's the misbehaving number that you get in season one, which was this big viral hit, um, which in another funny bit of synchronicity with Succession, that was like around the same time that the big like Kendall rap song <laughs> went viral. Um, sorry, Marie, if you haven't gotten to that yet, but I'm sure you've seen it. I don't believe in spoilers. It's okay. Um, but, uh, but you, but you can draw out that whole history that we're talking about, right? Where Amy Lee marries Eli, who seems like he's a much more kind of like straight laced, you know, more traditional style of preacher. And together they build this kind of empire out of that. What those flashbacks are showing too, is also Eli's drive to sort of expand the empire. His ambition. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, professionalize it, expand yeah. it, but his ambition being sort of maybe the original sin that leads to the younger generation being so being corrupted awful. and pathetic. The worst. <laughs> I think um, yeah. <laughs> in the case of Gemstones, it seemed like Amy Lee was really genuine and naturally gifted evangelical, and she converted Eli. He said many times how she saved him. I, I read that as, you know, a flirt to convert right. situation in the parlance of my people. Um Right, and then we learn about his sort of unsavory past in in season two, so that tracks. Uh, yeah, so it's you know it's it's interesting that their kind of church experience and their doctrine was like alienating to me, but somewhat familiar in in other ways. Um, I I was raised Mormon or LDS. Um, they've changed the official like name of it again but no one's going to right they they keep trying to rebrand themselves uh away from mormon and it doesn't really take uh into lds but good luck to them i really don't even remember what what the new thing is but i anyway i was raised mormon um in virginia not utah uh true believer my whole life i went to byu and i left the church after going to byu um but still spent more time in it than out of it uh and it's interesting because Mormons like this kind of unnamed um, mega church in gemstones have like their parallel media, you know, <laughs> like they have like yeah. a whole media apparatus. They have a lot of money. Uh, they have a pretty like far reaching and professional missionary operation. Most people are familiar with uh, and you can kind of live your whole life in it and not um, and, and be in this bubble. 
of especially if you live in Utah, Idaho, or Arizona, uh, of like they've got books, they've got a TV channel, um, and it's like the the social life revolves around the church, um, and it's very like well, and politically too. I mean, Utah is a, a Mormon oh, yeah. state. I mean, it it just anything. is. <laughs> um, and Mormons yeah. are interesting because they're and... like. They're somewhat overrepresented in the culture for how few of them yes. there are. Uh, I think they're very, you know, there are a ton of them in D.C. in politics and in the FBI. <laughs> exactly. They're very, very yeah, they're very, very influential. influential. Yeah. Unlike whereas I think a lot of kind of Southern evangelical Protestant sects, they stay, they stay where they are uh, and they exert a lot of local influence instead of going out and running for president all the right. time. Yeah, or being or being senators. God dang, Mitt, Mitt Romney. <laughs> Were we joking about how there needs to be an Evan McMullen cameo at some point on Jumpstones? Oh man, we'll see. Like they never the twain shall meet. It's really interesting. Like Mormons and evangelicals do not get along. Uh, Baptists specifically are taught that, or at least used to be. I think there's been a more circle the wagons movement lately, where with finding common ground as religious conservatives among all the different churches in America, but. At least when I was growing up, uh, Mormons and Baptists, yeah, they could they got along somewhat, but each of them knew that the other was wrong. I'll I'll, I'll say that. <laughs> I mean, Caleb, my husband, grew up Southern Baptist, and he was like specifically taught very unsavory things about Mormons, <laughs> and a lot. So so are many other I think Southern churches. Not to claim any kind of persecution. It's just funny. There's like, you'd think there would be more overlap, yeah. but there's not. Uh, Mormons have a very austere service um, with traditional kind of frontier type of hymns and old-fashioned hymns uh, and just an organ. So the thing that I find most alienating mm -hmm. about the gemstone service is the music. This like poppy yeah. praise music with the processed guitar and synthesizer stuff. I find it just distasteful well it's part I of their whole it. thing right like they are they're entertainers they are kind of like the roys in that sense right like they have um you know those theme parks yeah. and stuff and the local well but there's that and there's that and there's another huge tension in the show where we talk about how uh kelvin the adam divine character is like the youngest one is supposed to be more maybe representative of these kind of like hill songy just like praise tendencies with cool, yeah. youth pastors. cool youth pastor thing sort of like celebrity pastor stuff and then obviously in the second season um with the um i forget what the family name is but the uh the eric andre the character, listens um the listen the listens, the listens right um these <laughs> like these people who actually are more of like these very hill song type yeah pastors i think in season um, one it was like teased and, that um kelvin was really the future of the church and eli's old school buttoned up thing wasn't going to fly much longer and they kind of dropped that uh, i wish they hadn't because the whole hillsong thing is very even in the time that the show has been on hillsong has had sort of a fall from grace um yeah, yeah totally and they could they could they could go there with kelvin seems like they're very they far they away from it kind into of this bizarre esoteric thing it's very bizarre. Yeah, which which I also think is really interesting, and that gets into some of the material that I think is the most like potentially explosive and confrontational about the series that I don't think is being quite mined that way. But all the stuff about yeah, sort of just like sexual. Oh, him being like latently gay. Absolutely. Yeah. 
homosexual yeah. oppression specifically with Kelvin, who has this like faith force of these like very masculine buff dudes who travel around with him in a bus and they live this weird like cultish lifestyle and they perform these like feats of strength to like you know recruit and convert and his yeah, boyfriend homoerotic gym bro cult his his live-in boyfriend uh, yeah keith who's like i don't know he's like his helper or whatever this very soft-spoken uh satanist yeah his former satanist yeah his yeah his jeeves <laughs> which is like so my, my my whole take on the kelvin character is like I, don't, I think that divine is like the least funny member of this ensemble he just he mugs a lot i don't think he's that funny as a performer um but i, I, I but i think he also gets like some of the most interesting material in the show and uh the stuff with keith is really really funny too it reminds me a bit of the tom and greg dynamic oh, yeah. on succession and that those characters and that those characters make sense when they're together and then sometimes separately yes. not so much well it's a similar um, dynamic in that kelvin is the low man on the uh hierarchy of his own family and then he takes it out on his little servant right. and tom tom does the same <laughs> exactly. with cousin greg um well, and also that Keith uh, just just so readily switched from Satanism to Christianity, and the fact that he has this very submissive affect implies that he's just trading one type of master for another. Yeah. right. He's really just see- yeah. he's really just seeking a dominant relationship, and it's working out for them. Um, not not sexual though. The repressed Christian gay thing I think was interesting. Mormonism has that. There are a lot of Mormons who are um, op- maybe not openly gay, but at least admittedly gay, but pursue uh, heterosexual marriage anyway, because heterosexual marriage is kind of the pinnacle of, of existence within the church. That's how you get your kingdoms. Sort of, heaven. yeah. But like, it's, you know, it's very encouraged. The whole thing is set up to push you there. And there are people who say, I'm gay, but I'm going to marry a woman anyway, because that's what I need to do. And uh, same-sex attraction, as they euphemize it, is a um, is something that I struggle with. It doesn't define me. But then, you know, 10 years later, check in on them. It hasn't always worked out so well. Yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of that going on with Kelvin, but it doesn't, it's, it's not mined. Um, and even with, like, BJ uh, and whatever weird psychosexual stuff is going on with BJ and Judy. Although I think perhaps with Judy, it's like it's it's explored yeah. the most. They have um, they have yes, their Judy thing. is the Edie Patterson character whose fiance uh, and then husband um, is BJ Barnes, played by Tim Baltz. We talked a little bit about Patterson with Vice Principals. She's from the Groundlings. Um, she is just a totally. I mean, fearless is the cliche word, but she really just like gives everything to her performances, right? Like totally. they're so physical, guttural, like, vo- like voice everything. Mm-hmm. That monologue at the end of season <laughs> one, snail trails on my chair. She's my f- just like just going there. <laughs> I think she's really balancing a lot here in this role, and like she's all of her line deliveries are super effective. She's great at the more deadpan comedy, but she also is like embodying what is basically like this overgrown petulant child that's in stunted adolescence and you know very similar to the roy kids all the gemstone kids have these sort of childlike traits because uh you know they they had fucked up childhoods and are and are stunted but it feels like with patterson specifically like she's taking on a lot in this realm and like brendan said really really giving it her all physically to this like mortification style it's amazing um, acting 
right? And it doesn't torpedo any of like the more dramatic material at all. Um, and she's insanely and well matched with Tim Baltz, who I think like has yes, the same oh skill set and will absolutely match. <laughs> They'll just dive in headfirst to the worst scene you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> yeah, and and like you know, not to to do too much comparison to Succession, but this is where you know there are clear parallels between some of the siblings based just on the way that they that the family is ordered mm-hmm. and and who's in line for for succession judy and shiv are obviously very different characters but it's striking to me how both of these shows um have like these very true depictions of of what i would call like insecure fail daughters who only grew up around boys and who haven't had sufficient nurturing or identification with a maternal figure and there's all this subtext about judy not being beautiful talented elegant like her mother um you know and and because amy lee is held up on this pedestal and and um it's sort of like this this martyr character she's super pure uh it it reminds me a little bit of shiv's experience competing with her father's wives slash girlfriends that we've talked about um quite a bit last season and the the subsequent sexual sexual pathologies that you see in both of them. Yeah, as they're adults. very messed up in um, that way. They're very messed up. Like I, I think the psychosexual stuff is some of Gemstone's darker material, even if it's more muted. Um, like with Judy, we get the background on this really disturbing affair she affair. had with the professor. She assaulted uh, her older, much older professor, much older and professor. kidnapped his kid. <laughs> right. She <laughs> called it an affair, but she kidnapped his child. After assaulting um, him, extremely disturbing. And, um, you know, just the constant lewd kind of really sort of Tourette's-like inappropriate comments and behaviors, um, you know, which is also like a big succession thing, just, just sort of uh, like deeply gross, inc- incestual. Yeah. And even though this stuff suffuses the show and, and every character does it justice to me, Patterson's performance stands She's out the- as just like particularly mm. courageous and original. I can't think of another actress who could play it. Caitlin Olsen, you know, as, as D. Reynolds. Yeah, is kind but of she the can't only play Southern, you know. Sort of recent character that comes to mind. But she can't. Yeah, when exactly. Yankees She's, play Southerners. You know, English people girl. can do it fine. <laughs> All right. Because there's kind of a lineage there, actually. Right. Like you mentioned, that Scottish actress from it's like, true. Principles. Like, well, you know, she right. Australians who, who do you too think do it pretty well. The hills in the first place with Scotsmen. But um, but Patterson is amazing, and let's not forget that oh, she writes a lot of the I show mean, too. Oh, so who, she writes herself lines like that. Uh, what a what an amazing gift yeah. to all of us. Uh, yeah, yeah, I I don't really want to even say them because they're so terrible, like just vulgar and and awful. But again, her monologue at the <laughs> end of the, season one really stands out. And it's the and it's the cadence of her voice. I mean, like she and McBride can like both make me cry laughing, reading saying the phone almost book. nothing. I mean, they just I have such funny speech. In patterns. the pilot of Gemstones, yeah. she has a very you know a, a, a tame line that I nonetheless find myself using very often. Uh, what I'm busy putting on creams. <laughs> <laughs> there are so many. There's so many. And again, yeah, like that stuff. All that stuff that you're talking about, Gabby, about like the psychosexual repression. I mean, like in season two, when there's the episode with like BJ's baptism, which is like a very loaded event that has all these um, 
confrontations oh that take place. That's where uh, too much birthday, that's, too much baptism. That's where Eli breaks uh, Kelvin's thumbs, and you know goes back. He goes back to the you know it's the Lord forgive me. I got to go back to the old the me. Thumb theme. Um, oh my god. But um, what a season. But that's where you know you get all this like troubling hints about like you know BJ potentially repressing some side of himself in order to fit in with his family, and I think and we marrying talk- someone who looks just like his sister. Yes. Yeah, that's weird <laughs> casting there. Yeah, that was pretty like okay. It's it's, it's really funny casting, especially when they right confront there. each other in the bathroom. But I think yeah, I was complaining to you about the show before Gabby, and I think you like jokingly said that it's not homophobic enough for me. And I kind, but that and that's that's putting it a bit crassly. But I mean, like that is one of the things that you I know what I meant. That, but that but I mean, you're not wrong. That is one of the the edges that I think is being blunted in the show is that you know we yes. uh, there is. is that whole storyline too in the first season. Where where um, uh, where um, the Skylar Gisondo character, where Jesse's son has this big secret, Gideon has this big secret um, that he's been working with this uh, this other small time crook to try to extort him, and uh, Jesse thinks the secret is that his son's gay, and he's like, and his reaction to this is, you know what, I love my gay son, and it's just like a throwaway. I love my bi son. He thinks he's. I love bi, my bi son. Um, and within this show, it's this funny throwaway joke, but at the same time, I'm like, would that be Jesse Gemstone's reaction? Yeah. It's like it's it's one of those things that's. Str- right. I'm, I'm, that, I don't know. I, they're they're not it either strains the reality of the of the show, or it's <laughs> no, or you can take it as another instance no. of the show just backing away I don't, from. I don't that think so necessarily. Effect. Like I, I think uh, a lot of religious people are actually um, more tolerant, like legitimately more tolerant in their personal lives than they are doctrinally or politically. Well, in my and I, again, I talked about anyway. my background as Catholic, and there's in and you know in, in the Catholic Church, you have like I think you really okay, have. I mean, I so definitely experienced a huge spectrum of characters who are like you know fundamentalist and you know a lot more right wing, and also and also people who are a lot more liberal and progressive, and even you know socialist Catholics. You know, those exist. So there is a huge spectrum of it for sure. So should we talk about um, Jesse just real quick? Least funny McBride. Yeah, I mean, I threw that in there just because I think that um, Jesse is, uh, you know, he's he, the model for him, I think, is like Jerry Falwell Jr., right? Like, that's like the most obvious point of comparison mm-hmm. there. Uh, but, you know, he's he's surrounded. It's also a very canny move by McBride. You know, he's he's at he's like at the center of the narrative in the sense that he's the eldest son, but he's surrounded by all these more like exaggerated and inventive uh, comic actors. And he, you know, steps back and lets them, you know, take the forefront a bit. John Goodman. I mean that's like the that's like the Brian Cox thing, right? Where you bring you right. bring in this ringer, this guy who's like a veteran. I mean, Goodman is not like a Shakespearean actor in the same way. In a lot of ways, his background is pretty similar to a lot of these guys. He's done independence, he's done comedies, he's done a lot of TV, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is like you know also one of these guys who is very respected, you know, sort of dramatic actor. And so you bring him in to sort of give the melodrama uh, some gravitas. Brendan, I'm curious, um, upon your rewatches, you said season one was a lot tighter than you initially had sort of uh, assessed it as. So what changed for you there and why did season two not work for you as well? Well, season season one was like uh, the whole I think I was thrown initially by, again, the stuff we've been talking about where it, the show feels a little bit softer and maybe less focused in some ways because it doesn't have the same alienation effects as their previous work. Um, But it all does, all those storylines do kind of entwine around the sort of baby Billy character 
and his effort to sort of like pry uh, Judy away from the family. And in this very sort of like old school melodramatic sort of soapy sense, everything kind of um, folds together and the climax kind of works for me. Um, the second season, I don't think, you know, it's the COVID season, right? They have yes. all the COVID gags in there at the beginning where they show like, you know, in the beginning, Judy, yeah. well, like an, not too much. Like it, it's not too heavy handed. Yeah, BJ getting swabbed. BJ getting swabbed. Um, but but then but the storylines don't cohere in the same way, right? Like the characters are very siloed. Like Kelvin's storyline is very siloed. Maybe Billy literally like drives away and goes. There's a lot to of motorcycles. Have a storyline where he reconnects with his son. And there's a lot. And yeah, there's a lot of a motorcycles. Lot of, a lot of masked a lot of characters on motorcycles. Where someone's wearing a full right? helmet for some reason, and also two people maybe not are even in the same room. Yeah. I, I, I feel like I'm hitting all my negative points about the show. We're, I think we've also teased out a lot of the ways in which the show is really interesting. But talking about the motorcycle assassins, that was a huge part of the second season that didn't work for me. I mean, we've talked about in the previous projects where the narrative is often so simplistic and so generic, right? But that's because they're satirizing the genre conventions, right? And the narrative structure of these redemption arcs, et cetera. So that you can get away with things in Vice Principles, like, you know, have a really hoary plot device, like, you know, the mystery of the masked gunman or whatever. In Righteous Gemstones, where I don't feel kind of the same clarity of purpose as to, like, what exactly is being parodied, a storyline like that that mm-hmm. gets stretched out over multiple episodes, I found a little bit tedious. It's too serialized. Yeah. It, it's interesting because the... Eastbound is, you know, plays with genre conventions all over the place, and Gemstones just is a nighttime soap. Like, it could be parodying a Dallas, uh, but it's not really. Um, it, I think it's too much... Because it's so ambitious and expensive, it does fall prey to a lot more, a lot more conventional storytelling. And I think, unfortunately, uh, in 2022, hour-longs are overly serialized. <laughs> Uh, that's a that's a trend that I dislike, and Gemstones is no different. Um, and it also, because it has an ensemble, there's very much like check-in with all of the different ensemble characters uh, every week instead of, you know, right. telling a, a, a contained story. Like, Eastbound just blew up its premise every season and then went into like a pretty, pretty tight eight or nine episode run, uh, whereas... Gemstones is in this mode where it's like it could go for ten seasons and be basically the same and reset to zero every every season, which I you know, it's their most ambitious show, which weirdly locks it into being their least ambitious show uh, in certain <laughs> ways. Yeah, you talk about having to check in with all the characters every week. That's one of the big things that I highlighted as the thing that when I was er, early on, when I was just like, how would I how would how would you do this show differently to try to make it more in line with what they've done before. And I, I really do feel like the cast is just at a certain point is like, it's very unwieldy. It's hard to keep track of all these people and especially hard if you're trying to do the melodrama thing. Again, I think they mostly pulled it off in the first season of having the plot lines kind of dovetail between all the characters thematically and otherwise in terms of like having the characters literally crash into each other in terms of what happens at the end of that season. That's hard to pull off all the time and to introduce new people like they do in season two, like we mentioned with the listens with Eric Andre, but also with Junior, the Eric Roberts character, who was so fucking good on this show. So good. Um, the best. And Eric Roberts, I don't know how many people are aware of what Eric Roberts' career has been like for the last decade, last couple decades. Eric Roberts, I think, 
by now surely has the world record for the most screen credits of any actor who has ever lived. Um, he, he makes like literally hundreds of films a year. He will just be in anything. And it's mostly junk. It's mostly stuff that you would never think about. He just goes it's and works for, his... works for a day. But, uh, but he has not had... He was in tons and tons of movies before his sister's career took off. Yeah, absolutely. Like he had this entire like, well, again, B-movies and exploitation is mostly what he does. Um, and it kind of... Uh, went on pause when julia became this megastar yeah and he, and he also there's a reference to eric roberts and he's bowed down because uh, he's he's clearly one of their guys yes. right you know when uh, he's there's that whole in the mexico yeah, there's season. that whole storyline about him <laughs> trying to get his girlfriend a recording career and he's uh he's like yeah. he's like being controlling he's like stop trying to make me out like i'm eric roberts and star 80 <laughs> it's really funny they also they get another uh thing on their wish list from gemstones to or from Eastbound to Gemstones, which is that uh, Jonas Brothers thing. At the right. uh, end of season one, Adam Scott saying that a, a gold card might get you Jonas Brothers Jonas. tickets, whereas a black card will have all three of them <laughs> sucking your dick. Adam Scott. Uh, and then... Yeah. Sleazy Adam Scott roll. Oh, I love him. And then he, like, comes... And then in in Gemstones, their third effort, uh, the presence of a Jonas brother is proof that these characters have indeed arrived. That was fun. I like that he went on. And he, I, he was great. I, I, yeah, he was great. I know that they are, they're religious. No, I, I think so. The Jonas boys. Yeah. A little mm -hmm. bit. I love when they made that sexy music video about their wives, which is like the most <laughs> vanilla thing you could possibly do. <laughs> I haven't heard about that, but they did. They made like a they made a music cute. video a couple years ago for like a relatively sexy song, and the video vixens in it were their were their wives. That's adorable. Uh, it was hilarious. It was. I um. It was the kind of corny Christian thing that I, I like that somewhat familiar with that Jesse called uh, uh, Joe Jonas's wife Game of Thrones. <laughs> Well, she is. Maybe that's how they got it. You know, the HBO uh, connection. And that's had a, true. What's her name? That's so call funny. Her husband. Sophie Turner? Of The Staircase. Um, I don't want to get off track. Sorry. Let's just talk really quickly about um, a couple of the of the core roles. Cassidy Freeman as this uh, beautiful yes. southern mob wife. Uh, Jesse's wife. Much more compelling character, in my opinion, than Jesse himself. Um, I love um like the I read some interviews. I mean, I think the the wardrobe in the show is excellent, but hers, hers is some of my is favorite. Hers amazing. Is <laughs> the wardrobe, uh, the head of wardrobe said that she did um, deliberately make couples match, which is a wonderful thing to do thematically and also realistic to the is it realistic Christian milieu. Yes. That's awesome. Yeah, it's and they like their matching outfits are incredible. Uh, the way that they show up in these insanely yeah the um the, the tacky sort of bridal uh white cowboy hat and lace dress and he's in the black one and and they both the, uh, always have so much hardware on them like gold yeah. bling mm -hmm. i think and she has a lot of hardware too she's got a ton of guns i love um <laughs> she's crazy i she's she's real <laughs> I love yeah. Jesse's wardrobe. Uh, I want to see the mood board for that character of like Waylon Jennings, Conway Twitty, uh, Elvis, <laughs> the Memphis Mafia. <laughs> I love in the the season finale of of season two where he had his little Conway Twitty moment, you know, sitting on the on the stool. Yes, and the that number's so spotlight good. <laughs> comes seventies music video core. They have so many um, just nods to bizarre seventies looks. For him 
I think specifically there's a picture of um, of Elvis meeting, I think, Nixon, right? Well, it would have to be, yeah. Elvis yeah, and, and he's yeah. wearing a um, a three-piece suit with the jacket slung over his shoulders like a cape and a giant gold cross yes. that Danny McBride's character has worn more than once on the show, I think. Oh, wow. Uh, the Yeah, the, the wardrobe is just excellent. And Judy's wardrobe also. Yes. Uh, Edie like, Patterson's. I, it's so funny because I was thinking, I complained a lot about Shiv's wardrobe in season three, but a lot of that had to do with the fact of, of what's going on for Shiv in her life. Yeah, they were kind of airing concurrently, or what, I think Gemstones was right after Succession, and I was like... Judy is kicking Shiv's ass and all of season two of Succession everyone was like Shiv Roy like fashion icon and it completely fell off and boring you know, wasp now, clothes no thank you totally now Judy Jumpstone like with her like flowing and like beautiful well, blue jumpsuits and yeah yes I saw her with her hair straightened and uh well vice I believe she has a wig straight. on uh that's her natural hair oh, I believe that her gemstones that- look is a wig yeah it's a wig or it's Gemstone's extreme curling. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, her natural hair say, is straight. That's like a perm because I I didn't see her straight hair until I watched Vice Principals after Gemstones. And well, I was like, oh wow, the, she looks completely different. The costume, but. the head of costuming said that for Judy, um, her color is blue. They all have a gem color assigned right. to them, so she's the sapphire. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. Right. She's like a. I, if you look for it, you can see it. But hers is the most, I think, apparent. Um, and her look yeah. is very much like. Growing up in the 80s, who would be on her bedroom wall? Madonna and figure skaters. And because she's so uh, stuck in her childlike, yeah. her childlike mode. Nicks. Yeah, a little bit. But that's more of like a, you know, more of a West Coast thing, right? Uh, yeah. But she's so she's got like this sparkly little girl, but also a little bit Madonna look going on. Like you released an eight-year-old and an Eamon Marcus. Uh, and well, she, she is really a little girl. Pulls it they're, off. they're, they're yeah, all no, little girls. Yeah, her wardrobe is so it's so expensive, yet so childish at the same time. And it's just (laughs) wonderfully realized. It's it's fun. It's very, very fun. I love in season two, she's wearing this um, this outfit that has uh, butterfly stilettos. Like the back yeah. of her heels are butterfly wings that are just mm-hmm. tri- they look I, like Barbie shoes. They're they're awful and yet incredible. Yeah, the the um, I'm thinking of the BJ baptism and the costuming there. I'm thinking maybe it was that because the onesie, his onesie. Yeah, it's not all it's not all about separates. <laughs> no, it's not. No, they, she has great separates, but you know he really pulls. That. I think that kind of touches on something. That meltdown wanna... was funny. But there are a few threads in the show that do, I think, engage with the uh, the doctrine and deeper themes of Christianity, uh, one of which is baptism. There mm-hmm. are a lot of kind of key baptismal moments uh, in both seasons, both um, overt, like BJ literally getting baptized, and not so much, like where you have the theme of when you're baptized, you're reborn, and you're reborn free of sin, um, and your sins are washed away, and you're filled with the Holy Spirit, and all this and that. Like, that comes up a lot of times where you have people either um, undergoing a kind of baptismal experience and returning uh, to a childlike state, or just being infantilized all the time. Right. (laughs) Like, these people are born again, uh, and again, and again, and never get past about three years old. BJ's baptism was was wonderful because 
because of that. Uh, but it also kind of mirrored some scenes from from season one where you had Keith going back to his like weird yeah. uh, Satanist, um, <laughs> Satanist <pod. laughs> industrial club where he was going to quote unquote become the baby. Wait, isn't it called, sort of, isn't it called Club Sinister? <laughs> club Sinister, yeah. <laughs> and he goes to become the baby, which is like a, you know, pretty overt perversion of the baptismal ritual there, which is, mm-hmm. um, it's pretty interesting. And like the first Oh, you season, haven't seen season three of Succession yet. No, I've not. There's, there's, a, there's a Kendall moment that, that mirrors similar. that as well. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I can't speak to how realistic the uh, Satanist club is in that setting, though. I can't say that I ever had any no, experience, experience with that milieu in the South. The, the, that's the thing that they do in Gemstones is like their first two shows are almost um, like uh, perversely strict about the details of the day to day suburban Southern yeah, existence. Yeah. And then Gemstones is just this fantastical free for all where, mm. you know, they're pulling from exploitation horror b-movies michael mann all of just awesome shit the philosophy of the show seems to be let's throw some awesome shit at this and motorcycles yeah bmx (laughs) bikers motorcycle ninjas uh an industrial satanist club in suburban (laughs) south carolina which would never happen in a million years Uh, this stuff with the um muscle cult yeah the in the whole the whole compound just, or whatever it's fantastical in ways that <laughs> are interesting uh it has a- you can argue that it works artistically and you can argue that it very much does not it really depends the thread i really love in uh, gemstones is the influence of what seems like a vintage like pulp crime novels on it um, like yeah. like the first season, the whole like blackmail subplot is extremely like Elmore Leonard, and there's so many touches that remind me of like Westlake and like the later Parker novels. Like there is literally a Parker novel where they rob a mega church meeting. I'm pretty sure. And the music is very Michael. Music very Michael Mann. Tangerine Dream, yeah. like 80s thriller high stuff. What did you guys think, real quick, of the uh, like Jason Schwartzman thrust? I wanted of more Daniel. Like that's yeah. I think- <laughs> Brooklyn bitch it's really really hard for me to say how much like I I don't like to you know fortune tell too much about this but it feels like the season was compromised by COVID and like I know some other shows were weirdly truncated and like the way that it wraps up it's picked up up in a great way I think Oh sure, but it's it's dropped for a long time it's It's not dropped for way too long Yeah, in a satisfying way I think the whole business of uh, Eric Roberts's dad having been killed by M. Emmett Walsh in the past was... I love Eric Roberts, but I simply couldn't care. <laughs> right. Like, it just felt... It felt like a reach, and, like, it wasn't grounded in Why, anything. Yeah. Why do we but, care? Like, yeah. The first season, even the fantastical masked, um, masked blackmailers thing was, like... Uh, it was the prodigal, the prodigal son, and it was yep. the prodigal son both ways. You had um, Jesse's son coming back to him, and then you also had Jesse coming back to his dad uh, in the right. end. Like it was this, it was this double. I like that you get story. another father-son relationship. Yeah, uh, it was generationally extremely... that you don't get in succession with with Gideon. But I didn't see, like, in season two, I, I can't really point to as many overt biblical themes or narratives. Um, <laughs> I don't. I'm not, maybe there are some, and I've just forgotten my my Sunday school to a degree. Um, but 
yeah. it just didn't feel as coherent. Like in season one, you can make more of the argument that they are doing some Christian stuff and that they're pulling on biblical themes and stories and references. And in season two, it's Brendan, harder to spot. Brendan called it more of a character drama in season two. Yeah, but then you've got all this like business with the motorcycles and whatnot. So it's not. <laughs> it's a lot of motorcycles. Yeah, yeah like it's it's just. I don't know an excuse for Skylar Gusando to be cool because he's a little a little stud, a little short. Oh king. yeah, he's he's great. <laughs> I love him. Um, what a what a get for them, honestly. Like. Yeah, it, it's it's tough because you do want to check in on all the cast. Like it's it's a really good yeah, cast. They love they love the characters and embodying them and dressing them and putting them in these situations and writing for them. I think that that might be kind of a hindrance sometimes to the show kind of progressing in in a mm-hmm. way that's compelling. Like Succession obviously is this Shakespearean drama where people are spiraling towards tragedy in ways that seem foreordained. Gemstones is like I don't see them going anywhere with it necessarily. Like, is Eli a bad pastor? Is he headed for tragedy? It seems like he's managed to successfully, like, right the ship every time it's been threatened. And the show, again, the central problem with it is it doesn't engage with, like, whether that's good or not. Well, I mean, I think it's, I think McBride said something about, like, the Thornbirds, which is, like, this generational, like, family saga. Um, and I think it's more about this thing of like, you know, these circular narratives where you always, the family always reunites at the end, but they're continually like going back and they're going back to the past and they're filling out these details. So like you start with this simple portrait and maybe over seasons you complicate it and you broaden it and you deepen it. And that's maybe more of uh, what they're going for there. Um, mm, but sure. but, it, but, but those it's, individual storylines and those deepenings actually have to, to work, right? And if you don't find like those trips to the past compelling, which I don't know that they always are, um, that's, that's a problem for the show. It's right. a very, it's a lot of threads to keep together. And if they don't have a destination in mind, it, I think is sometimes, some of them are, are slackening, I'll say. Like uh, baby Billy going back and reuniting with his, uh, with his son and getting punched in the face. It's like sort of satisfying, but... Oh, I don't that know. Was it super was super satisfying because of the casting. I mean, oh, of course, that's just <laughs> another parallel with Succession. Of, there you go. And more just like we're gonna have a and more just like throwing cool shit <laughs> at the season. wall, right? Because like the whole true. Because true, I don't know yeah. if that scene has any charge at all unless you have like Macaulay Culkin there and the the weird way that he's like almost not acting in the scene, or it's like you know not to take anything away from him as right. an actor, but the way that he's <laughs> so underplaying it and so forcing Goggins to do all the work in that scene and to really come to him yeah. uh, is is so compelling and weird and entrancing. Um, and it, it's it feels still very distant from everything else that's happening in the season. It's a discreet event yes. on its own, but it's a cool scene. Yeah, I guess I wish like people would break bad more and stay there. Like Baby Billy, mm-hmm. Baby Billy is such a heel, and I want him to be a heel. <laughs> well, he he's got a new baby on the way, so I doubt he's gonna you know stick around long for that. Yeah, no, baby, maybe, baby, maybe not. Baby Billy gets all the redemptive cliches of their work without ever really uh, doing the really alienating, horrifying things that their characters do. Yeah, it's true. Um, it's interesting uh, watching him because he's so good at, at like playing bad, and the show almost doesn't want to let him be an antagonist. Mm. He's more of an annoyance. Um, yeah, 
Like, again, it, it feels like things are a bit weightless and get washed away. And I know that that is literally what happens in the waters of baptism and when you yourself are filled with like, the light of Christ. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, you can start over. You can start over all the time. All you have to do is be saved. Uh, and that's maybe there's some meta commentary about that going on. But also, that's literally maybe. how nighttime soaps work. Yeah. And uh that's not always great. And as we've teased out, it's a compelling idea for a satire to operate on that basis of you can be redeemed no matter how much horrible you shit can be we the, just you watched you You can become you do. the baby. Uh, you can, Every morning, you can become the baby again. You can become the toilet baby. You can become new. <laughs> so so much birth and rebirth and infantilization. They're stunted because they're the children of this rich, successful family, right? But, you know, maybe they are making a bit of an argument that the culture is somewhat infantilizing. Uh, the culture of evangelical Christianity. I know that I've been frustrated in the past by the culture of Mormonism being somewhat infantilizing, especially for women. You know, I I know a lot of Mormon women who I respect who find a lot of meaning in it and don't feel that way, but I certainly felt that way when I was uh, in college and a young adult, so your mileage may vary, but it's definitely there. Uh, it's not not there. Some people maybe aren't as bothered by it or don't succumb to it. Yeah, and maybe the exaggerated nature of gemstones, the slightly heightened reality that it takes place in, and the maybe less faithful adherence to the sort of like documentary reality of the setting keeps it from really making that point as strongly as it might about the relationships to the culture yeah. that's around them. I do think that Amber's relationship with, with Jesse uh, is a very interesting one. I like how in season one they have this rift, uh, which is pretty much entirely caused by him uh and then in season two their marriage is just stronger than ever because they've overcome the hurt and that's like a point of pride for them yeah yeah they're running this marriage class about how to do it but i think like oh totally yeah she's she's ambitious well also you know it's in the call stand by your man for sure Stand by your man but she also Stick shot him in the ass well that's that's a corollary to it right like part <laughs> of stand by your man culture is um I have a cast iron frying pan to hit you with culture. Like it's <laughs> She's very... a, a room full of guns. Yeah, two two sides of that coin. Uh, um, but also, like, I think the show is really good at demonstrating how marriage, I mean, expl it's explicitly discussed sometimes, but it gives you a lot more social capital in that world. Yeah. Like, as a divorcee, yeah. you're, you're fucking out. But when she's well, like married, the whole scene, the whole scene of of uh, Judy and BJ like, uh -huh. talking about their marriage. They've earned a place just, in adult society now because they're married. They're married, but then it was like this Disney wedding, and just like that, the writing there was 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 so fucking funny. Oof. But now, yeah, it, it's it's more echoes of Succession. Like uh, somebody, you know, uh, once you're married, uh, you're a player now. So this turn to sort of like uh who's going to take over eli's health is is fragile um people reached out to me and were like this season is so much like succession like the righteous gemstones it's like the same thing oh my god and and it's funny because like it is it, it is kind of yeah I, I i see it i totally see it i love it and i love it where i am in succession you know the roy's empire is definitely unstable and vulnerable uh they are legacy media they're a legacy flavor of elites um whereas the oh, gemstones <laughs> or at least at least the people that they are kind of represent and play to are ascendant in the culture and triumphant 
And the more triumphant they are, the more they claim that the world is against them. On the marriage thing, I think it is interesting how both Shiv and, like, the the girl of both families uh, is defined by her relationship mm-hmm. within the cast Completely. of the show. Like, yeah. having your fiancé slash husband be a main cast member when no one else's is is a little bit demeaning, but it's also pretty representative of how these very conservative hierarchical structures treat their women the idea they call bj a a boring white boy like yeah well he gets treated with like complete disrespect like tom does you know yeah yeah exactly Uh, things like that like but like it seems superficial but it's there it's interesting because both shiv and judy need to get married to like achieve full personhood in the schematic they're in but their husband because their husband is you know married to the woman who is lesser is like complete just shit lower than low for both families gabby you said before like these characters are liberal and i disagree you disagree yeah i disagree because you know you can be superficially tolerant and you can be superficially like a, a lush in your personal life but there's fundamental things that are much, much more conservative, like traditional family structure, the patriarchal hierarchy, the fact that politically, you know, these people are not. I would say in a in a in a in a sort of um, very very pejorative interpretation of liberal. My most uh, my most pejorative interpretation of liberal. Yeah, sure, they party, but like, what does that mean? I right. met Ann Coulter in a previous job, and she's like well, they, totally they, chill you know. and down with gay people and superficially right. very friendly. You know, politically, people have defined liberalism as like, do you think that people should be allowed to uh, be gay and smoke weed or not? There are plenty of Republicans who feel that way, but they feel much more strongly about their core Republican values, right. too. All Danny McBride's characters in pretty much everything are, they par- he parties hard. Um, yeah, and uh, I think yeah, that he doesn't, I mean, like, he doesn't I don't see think... any contradiction with having like a more deeply I, conservative. I'm not saying view. the gemstones vo- vote for Democrats. Like I definitely no. don't think that. It's just like I guess looking at a show about evangelicals and Christianity again, it's like it's well, shocking permissive. that that they're not. Yeah, it's not. It's not what what you would think it's not what what someone where i'm from would think uh about these people that they're like i love my bi son and i would like to do coke and i'm gonna do an adderall to celebrate oh yeah like, southern it's... southern cokehead <laughs> culture is so un- underrepresented except through danny mcbride we can parse this when we have marie back to talk about ann culture on uh, impeachment american crime story oh yeah no i'm i not not to gossip or anything but like you know People's personal feelings and friendships and things often don't play into their politics or they do in ways that are different. And I think per- permissive is probably a better word than liberal or like it's it's much more much more accurate in terms of what I'm I trying think. to capture. Yeah. I mean, it's also to me very shocking because Mormons do really walk the walk and are, are that prim, yes. like even in private. Brendan and I were talking before about the music thing. You know, Mormons do austere traditional hymns and they don't have that rollicking music program uh, that can be good. 
Well, yeah. Catholics certainly don't either. Yeah. Yes. Or kind of my, my kind of Catholics. Bad and too poppy. Well, we were talking about the yeah. you know when the drum kit shows up at church. Like we always had like very traditional like music <laughs> at my Catholic parish, um, but there was like an evening mass that we would avoid going to because my dad, you know, my parents were like huge traditionalists, and you know we all were too, and you know we didn't want to go to the evening mass where the like alternative quote unquote music would get played, and you know with the with the drum kit and the guitar and stuff, and that was the only time I ever saw my dad leave mass early after communion so he could skip the recessional hymn any uh, any amount of that music he could miss out on he was going to speaking of music we need to wrap this up so the, the final thing we have here is you guys had some stray thoughts about musical moments which yeah these guys are great at oh yeah yeah they they have the music best needle drops shows. <laughs> seriously like the music moments are just incredible uh, All right, throw some out. Okay, uh, in Eastbound, when he says he's just going to be a regular teacher with no hopes or dreams, and he's walking down the hall to Lee Hazelwood's poor man. Uh, <laughs> I'm just a poor man with a heart full of... Just that incredible. And then I think at the end of season two, when he says, April, I'm coming for you, and the slits cover of Heard It Through the Grapevine is just, just amazing. And then in, in Gemstones, obviously, Misbehaving is the, like, key moment but there's some other good ones too they use a lot of really um, good cred like 70s country type stuff i also see that you have uh in eastbound ODing to walk like an egyptian jason's take beautiful <laughs> great great scene um their shows at their best are great at illustrating kind of th- these moments of great personal importance that are marred by something incredibly banal whether it's uh, walk like an Egyptian or just like a, a sort of unpoetic setting of suburban life. It's just it's mm-hmm. great. Well, I mean, and the the best example of that is an observant report when which opens with uh, when I paint my masterpiece uh, over the, the, the opening montage of the terrible shopping mall. That they the all work the in. Levon Helm version, by the way, the not Helm not version. some Robbie Robertson shit. <laughs> And the other one I really love is the ending of Vice Principles, which is um, Living on a Thin Line by the Kinks, um, which is an amazing song. And also the thing it most reminds you of is, most reminds me of, is uh, University, the episode of uh, The Sopranos um, with uh, that whole uh, storyline with Ralphie and the stripper, um, which is one of the most disturbing episodes of The Sopranos. And that song is like a chorus throughout it. One of my other favorite things from... um from gemstones is uh, uh roger miller's chugalug when um yeah. baby jesse <laughs> yeah. is drinking the beers oh my god it's just a great like <laughs> roger miller is so is so fun danny mcbride's character is so so aesthetically influenced by 70s country singers uh, it's nice to nice to throw some of that in there it's a real just like yeah they're from like the pastiche era basically uh, that's there's there's no like strictly defined period. It's just like it's just a great mass. Uh, but fortunately, they have pretty good taste in the stuff that they're drawing from. Yeah, like their their music is great. I mean, some of it is very like HBO music director taste, you know? <laughs> uh, which is a certain thing that you know we could talk about for a while. But you'll you know it when you <laughs> see it. But they also I think bring their own like eclectic uh, choices to the music, and it's always very good and. Another authentically Southern thing, I think, is having a intuitive and deep connection to to the music that they use. Not that like Southerners are the only people to love music, but no, no, but it's, absolutely, well, yeah. I don't know, maybe. 
<laughs> Certainly the only people to invent it in America and therefore the world, but... <laughs> yeah, you know, let's, let's, yeah. Let's, let's give some credit. That takes us to uh, the end of our outline in this, uh, this epic episode, which I think we covered uh, everything we wanted to uh, for the most part. This did indeed end up becoming our longest episode ever, but I think it was worth it. Um, this was... Yeah, this is an epic conversation and I'm really very grateful that Marie was able to join us for this this was oh thanks yeah thank you so much thank you for inviting me uh I was happy to come on I love to talk about um I don't know tv shows (laughs) of which I watch actually very few but but you but you watch you watch them better than other people watch them so that's right I just give it my all (laughs) really think it through uh, but no, and I'm, you know, I'm grateful for that you invited me because I do really like Succession. I'm probably going to watch some more of it tonight. I hope you will yeah, uh, come know. back and talk with us about Succession in full at some point. Oh, yeah, I'll talk to you about Succession once I, like, really have a grasp on it. Yeah, come on for an episode. When a we, real episode. Uh, when yeah, it, well, it sounds on. like you'll have a while before it comes back, so. Yeah, it'll be some time, but it'll come before you know it. We can talk about the, the Shakespeare of it all. Uh, do you want people to find you on Twitter, Marie? Would you rather they leave you alone? They can if they want. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't care either way. Like I said, I don't have anything to promote. I'm just a poster with a day job that's completely unconnected to my posting. That's, so that's the way to be. It is. <laughs> we'll have a we'll have a link in the bio, and yeah, I don't know when uh, Roycast listeners will hear from us. Uh, again, um, hopefully it won't take us four months to prep another episode. But, uh, you know, I think the important thing for us with these bonus episodes is that we find stuff that we feel strongly about and that we really want to talk about. And I think that was certainly the case here. We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, we hope you'll uh, be with us next time. So uh, from all of us here at Roycast, thank you and uh, bye-bye. Oh, the streets of Rome Filled with rubble Ancient footprints Are everywhere You can almost think That you're seeing double On a cold, dark night On the Spanish stairs Gotta hurry on back To my hotel It's yours.